Deuteronomy chapter 6 for our scripture reading before we dive into our passage in the book of Colossians. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Beginning in verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And now you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. As we prepare to dive into two verses on this Mother's Day. But before we dive into this particular passage, I want to follow up on a couple of comments I made last week in last week's message. I referenced at least three different times, uh, three different occasions, when it would be inappropriate for a wife to submit to her husband. Those three times were these. First, when that submission compels her to be less than what she is, an image bearer of God, which would include situations of abuse. Second, when submission would be contrary to her conscience, it would be inappropriate for her to submit. And third, when that submission would put her at odds with God's revealed will, so that she is expected to either enable or excuse her husband's sin. And I bring those points up again, not to retract any of them. I stand by them, but I wish that at the time I had added this statement. If you find that you are in any situation like this right now, or fear that you might be, I want to to encourage you to come talk to me so that we can do something about it. Sojourn will not be a church where the Bible is used to justify ungodly subjugation or domineering. We refuse that sojourn be that sort of church. So please, come speak to me or speak to one of the other elders. Okay, so that wraps up last week's message. Now, moving on from that, but tying into that, this is the only right course of action, right? 
If we think about godly authority and how it is to be lived out in the Christian life, it would only make sense that we would stand by a statement like that as a church. We began last week with this as our big idea. If you are part of his new creation work, Jesus intends to recreate your family life. If you are part of Jesus' new creation work, then Jesus intends to recreate your family life. And we acknowledge that according to Paul, we are brought under the authority of Jesus under and through the gospel. Paul describes believers as having been transferred into the kingdom of his son in chapter 1, verse 13. And then later on in verses 15 and 18, listen how Jesus is described. He's described as the one by whom all things were created, including all authority. And all things were created through him and for him, including authority. Further, he's the head of the body he's described to be. He's the head of his church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And chapter 2, verse 10, describes Jesus as the head over every ruler and authority. So if you're here and you're exploring Christianity, all this talk of authority might be really uncomfortable for you. But consider this. Being under authority, appropriate authority, Jesus' authority, is not enslaving in any way. In fact, it is true freedom. It is the only way to be free. We were designed to live under God's authority, which includes the order he created within the home. So when we are living under that authority, we're living in the environment that God designed us for, like a fish living in water. Now, a fish out of water might look like freedom, After all, that fish is no longer contained by that little fish bowl. It can go wherever it wants to and do whatever it wants. But that's foolish, right? That's not freedom. That is certain death for the fish. A fish out of water might look like freedom, but that kind of freedom leads to death. So God has given us a beautiful gift for our flourishing, and that gift is is living under the authority, the opportunity to live under his authority and thrive in his environment. And the gospel message is an invitation through repentant faith to find our place under the umbrella of God's authority, forsaking our autonomy, our sinfulness, and receiving forgiveness for our rebellion against his authority. And when that happens, chapter 3, verse 1 says, we are raised with Christ. We are seated with him in the heavenly places. And so no wonder he comes to chapter 3, verse 17, and what is his conclusion to all of these realities? He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do or say or think or decide, do say, think, or decide it with reference to and in light of the fact that Jesus is Lord. So the question becomes, like we asked last week, to paraphrase Doug Moo, a 
certain commentator, believer, do you believe and will you live out the fact that Christ governs the entire universe, including the mundane affairs of your household? So how does Jesus Christ intend his new creation work to recreate your family life? Well, last week we looked at gospel living for husbands and wives. This week we're going to look at gospel living for children and parents, specifically fathers. Next week, Pastor Nick is going to take us into Colossians 4 and walk us through private lives of prayer and our public walk of wisdom before the world. And then the week after that, we're going to return to the end of Colossians 3 and look at gospel living for workers and employers. But this morning, we're looking at gospel living for children and parents. And let me address at the outset that today, being Mother's Day, it may feel a bit odd that much of this sermon is going to address fathers in particular. This was not planned, per se. This is not some passive-aggressive rebellion against the status quo of a marketable holiday in the United States. I'm not trying to raise a rebellion against Mother's Day. We cannot overstate the common grace gift of motherhood or the special grace gift of mothers who follow Jesus. And it's appropriate to celebrate it as a culture. But in God's providence... As we are preaching expositionally through Colossians, he's brought us to a passage on this Mother's Day that deals in principle with how parents ought to raise their children and the role of mothers in that. But the passage does so by addressing the role and responsibility of What a timely blessing for us as a church family as we celebrate so many new fathers in our midst and several newly married couples. But before he gets to the fathers, Paul is going to take a knee, and he's going to get on eye level with children in the Colossian church. He speaks as a messenger of God, and he addresses them as responsible agents before God. And what does he say? Look at verse 20 with me. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. We might word it this way in keeping with our points from last week. Children are under authority, like Jesus and with Jesus, and are freed to embrace obedience. Now, I recognize that in this gathering space right now, we have very few children in this room that are at an age where they can understand what's being communicated from the front. But I hope that this particular point will give parents in our midst a paradigm for communicating at age-appropriate levels why obedience is so essential. And notice first, who observes the obedience of children? Whether it's a father and a believing child, or a mother and a believing child, or a father and mother together and a believing child, there is an unseen additional presence who is always observing. And who is that? It is the sovereign Lord Jesus. So, young person, if you see the only, or if you see only the one or two visible people in front of you, 
Obedience will feel like a drag more often than not. It will feel constricting. It will feel binding. But if you've repented of your sins and trusted in the Lord Jesus for salvation, then you have invited him into every aspect of your life, and not as a spectator only, but as your Lord. So when your parents tell you to put the phone down or come to dinner or clean up your room or help with the dishes or whatever of the myriad directives they may give you in a given day or week, the sovereign and kingly presence of the Lord Jesus, your Savior, though unseen, is there. And if you have not yet turned from your own way to embrace the loving and gentle lordship of your Creator, what's keeping you from that? Consider this Jesus who is present in your home. This Jesus knows what it is to obey parents. Remember, only one of Jesus' parents was biologically his parents, Mary, his mother. But Jesus submitted himself to his biological mom and his adopted earthly father because he feared and trusted and loved his heavenly father. And young person, the eternal creator of all things, who humbled himself to become a man, but before becoming a man became a child subject to his parents, that Lord Jesus is with you. And he calls you to submit to him joyfully. And what will that look like? What will that trusting look like? It will look like embracing the fact that God in his goodness has placed you under the authority of your parents. As Jesus was. And with Jesus as you follow him. So you are in good company. But consider further that this Jesus is is not just observing your obedience, he empowers your obedience. Because when a child has submitted to Jesus, he or she is no less united to Jesus than an adult. And so the realities of Colossians 3, 1 through 3, where believers are united to him and raised with Christ and seated in the heavenly places, those things are true of a believing child. And it is that union with Christ that enables even the most willful and independent child to obey his or her parents. For a believing child to set their mind on things above and not on things of the earth looks incredibly practical. When a parent gives a directive, the child obeys. Notice second, who is pleased by the child's obedience. A child's obedience pleases Jesus. What a stunning statement. Just let that sink in for a moment. Young person, if you are still under your parents' protection and provision as a young person, your obedience to them makes the Lord Jesus pleased. It honors him. It brings him contentment and satisfaction. So young person, hear this. The goal of the Christian life as laid out by Paul in this epistle is to walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him. And then he connects your obedience to your parents as pleasing to the Lord. So that means in this one verse, in this one statement, you have the goal of your salvation expressed, being pleasing to the Lord, as well as the motivation for obeying your parents. It pleases the Lord. Now, 
parents in this room can agree with me on this. That doesn't mean every time you obey, your parents will be pleased, depending on what's going on in their own hearts. In fact, they may not even notice your obedience, but Jesus does. And the motivation is not to please your parents. The motivation is to please your Lord. It makes Jesus smile when children obey their parents. And notice that this is a comprehensive obedience. Obey in all things. There's a comprehensiveness that dilutes circumstances. Obey when you feel like it. Obey when you don't. When it's convenient. When it isn't. When obeying clearly serves your purposes and desires. Get in the car so we can go get some ice cream. And when it clearly doesn't serve your purposes and desires. Go finish your homework before you play on your phone anymore. However, there will be times when it would be inappropriate for a child to obey a parent, even though the obedience here is comprehensive. Those situations may be more frequent when a believing child ha doesn't have parents that are seeking to follow Jesus. For example, a parent may ask a child to lie for them. In that case, obedience is inappropriate. For that believing child has a higher authority, the Lord Jesus Christ. But these types of situations should be rare in a family that Jesus is recreating. So let's return to what Jesus says through Paul. Children, obey your parents in everything. So children are under authority like Jesus and with Jesus and are freed to embrace obedience. But to get a complete picture of the parent-child dynamic we need to move on to the next verse. N.T. Wright notes that if either of these two verses is neglected, then this parent-child dynamic will go off the rails. Consider this. If Paul's words to fathers in verse 21 is overemphasized to the neglect of Paul's words to children, then the rights of the individual child is allowed to range free trampling the rights of family, friends, neighbors, and anyone else in the way. But if the child's responsibility is overemphasized and God's call to fathers is ignored, then what will result is the embittering and discouraging of children, which is exactly what verse 21 intends to avoid. So now, Let's turn to the role of the parents generally and the fathers specifically. Verse 21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. So let's unpack this verse together using this idea, this phrase as our guide. Fathers specifically and parents generally are under authority, like Jesus and with Jesus, and are freed to exercise disciplined discipline. Disciplined discipline. I'm using the term discipline here not, uh, to, um, not in the more reductionistic and common way of to punish. I'm using it in the more general way, meaning to train. 
Notice that Paul addresses, when it comes to parenting, a particular individual in the parenting relationship, the father. Are you familiar with the bumbling dad trope that's common in many children's TV shows and movies that Hollywood seeks to put out? There's a whole website designed to tropes that are common in various shows, and that website describes the bumbling dad trope in this way. He's clever at times, but he's not usually allowed to be smart. He's lazy, gluttonous, and has miscellaneous other glaring vices. His children may love him, but they often don't respect him. And the bumbling dad is there to make mom look better by comparison. In fact, mom may end up being responsible for parenting the husband and fixing his screw-ups. After all, somebody's got to be the grown-up in a family, and you can't hold dad accountable for not acting like a grown-up if he's just an idiot. That trope is common in the entertainment that is fed children in our culture. And while this may be Hollywood's idea of fatherhood, what is the Bible's take on fatherhood? The Bible's vision for the father is this. He is primarily responsible to pass along spiritual truth to his children. And he is primarily responsible for a multi-generational spiritual legacy. That's what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's why we began our time there. You can trace this idea back to Abraham, Genesis 18, through to the book of Proverbs, and on into the New Testament. Now, this does not dilute the crucial role of the wife and mother in the spiritual education of her children. She's been designed by God to be a strong helper to her husband, which includes educating their children in the gospel. Proverbs makes it clear that a mother's co-laboring and teaching with her husband is a priceless treasure. But the fact remains, God has charged fathers with the primary responsibility to spiritually educate his children in the gospel. So dads, let me ask you, has your absence in parenting your children towards Jesus left your wife carrying this weight exclusively with only your occasional help, a weight that Jesus intended to be your burden to carry, a weight in which she comes alongside of you as a strong helper? So fathers of sojourn, hear your Lord calling you to something greater than a larger retirement portfolio. Better than prestige at work. More lasting than another rung on the corporate ladder. More valuable than an additional pay raise. The sovereign Lord who bought you is calling you into your role as the servant leader of your house, as the one primarily responsible for the spiritual education of your children in the ways of God. What an awesome responsibility. 
And so, brethren, teach the ways of God to your children. Repeat them repeatedly to your children. Deuteronomy 6. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road or when you drive in the car and when you lie down and when you get up and on the way to baseball practice and, and dance school and when you sit down and rise up, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates and talk about them around the dinner table and before bed and as you get ready for school. Before we dive into what this admonition is specifically to the fathers, we need to hear first the fact that God the Father, by His Spirit, through the Son, is addressing you specifically as a father, not to you generally as one of two in a parental relationship. Believing fathers, you have been united to the Lord Jesus. You have been raised with Him and are seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. So excuses of lack of time or lack of skill or lack of ability, those are just excuses. They will not fly. You've been united to Christ and in His new creation work, He is intent upon a new creation work within you to release you from your grip on earthly things that will not satisfy and to raise your head towards things of eternal significance, eternally significant things like faithfully showing up to spiritually instruct the little image bearers of God that he has given to you in his grace. Now, all this talk of fathering and Fatherhood, perhaps it's triggering for you because it brings to mind your own absent father. Perhaps it's even paralyzing for you to consider what it is to be a good dad when you don't believe that you had a good role model yourself as far as what that would look like. And here's where we come back to the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel of Jesus Christ frees you and completes you. It calls you into relationship with a perfect God who is Father to His core. He knows to be nothing else but Father. And in all His beauty and perfection and goodness and patience and grace and mercy and justice, He is that kind of Father. So listen to J.I. Packer's words to this effect. I've heard it seriously argued that the thought of divine fatherhood can mean nothing to those whose human father was inadequate or absent. But that is just not true. The thought of our maker becoming our perfect parent is a thought which can have meaning for everybody. Whether we come to it by saying, I had a wonderful father, and I see that God is like that, only more so, or by saying, my father disappointed me here, here, and here, but God, praise his name, will be very different. Or even by saying, I have never known what it is to have a father on earth, but thank God I have one now in heaven. The truth is that all of us have a positive ideal of fatherhood by which we judge our own and others' fathers. 
So dads, hear me. Release your fear of failure as a father. The gospel invites you to that. It calls you to that. And it calls you to show up day in and day out to your children as the servant leader equipped and called by the sovereign Lord at whose right hand you are seated right now in the heavenly places. And he calls you to daily, repeatedly, consistently, faithfully bring them to Jesus. And there is no other calling like that on earth. And if you want practical advice and resources about how to do this, let me point you to two men in our church that have fathered for a long time. There are certainly others from whom you can learn even within this midst, but both Mark Loazzo, one of our elders, and Jeff Lynn would love to share with you out of their weakness and out of their failures, but also out of the grace of God in Christ what God has taught them and is teaching them about being a father to the glory of God. But let's keep looking at the verse. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. I appreciate that translation, exasperate. Jesus calls fathers to parent their child in a way that's not angry or quarrelsome, not contentious, contentious to avoid aggressive parenting that results in a child losing heart, being discouraged, becoming sullen or indifferent. Now we could probably list off many ways that a child could be exasperated by a father, but perhaps the most significant one is simply inconsistency. Inconsistency in what you expect and when you expect it inconsistency in nitpicking wrongs or overlooking willful disobedience, inconsistency in both the presence or absence of consequences and the severity of them, inconsistency in your mood so that a child doesn't know from one moment to the next or one day to another how he or she is going to experience you, inconsistency in rhythms of life, Elizabeth and I have spent almost a decade of our lives working full-time with middle school teens and high school teens and young adults in a church context. And one of the things that we observed to be true is not an original observation with us. One individual words it this way, parents who treat the church as optional should not be surprised when their children end up treating Jesus as unnecessary. Fathers, be consistent in exposing your children faithfully, repeatedly, habitually to the means of grace. The Word of God, prayer, and the church gathered. Your child's expression of faith and repentance in Jesus is a work that only the Holy Spirit can do within them, but the Holy Spirit uses means. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So make it a weekly non-negotiable that unless providentially ordered and not by a sporting event, 
You and your children are going to be under the sound of the Word of God in a local church. Whether this one or some other gospel-preaching, faithful, Bible church. Through the singing, through the praying, through the liturgy, through the preaching, place yourself under the Word of God. It's a fact that your children are being spiritually formed by what they watch and who they talk to and what they read and the social media they ingest. In other words, your child is being discipled. But towards whom? And towards what? Fathers, be consistent in having your children with the church of God gathered, putting them in a position for the Holy Spirit to spiritually form them through the liturgy, through the teaching and sojourn kids, through the presence of faithful older brothers and sisters within the congregation. Brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers spiritually in their lives. What God will do with that is up to Him. Trust Him for that. But for your part, part be faithful. Show up. Be consistent. Be disciplined in this simple gift. And fathers, what a gift this would be to your wife on Mother's Day. If you took this verse to heart and leaned into the high calling of God to be a father that trains and instructs consistently without exasperating your children. What Jesus is calling you to is to turn from an undisciplined, un inconsistent, winging it sort of fatherhood to embrace a disciplined type of discipline. A regulated, careful, intentional, and thoughtful training up of your children. And notice the end of the command. What's the result if fathers will embrace this high calling of God? It will result in children who are not discouraged. Fathers, as you put on the compassion, the kindness, the humility, the gentleness, the patience that Paul exhorts everyone to in verse 12, it will result in a change in your fathering. There's a particular type of way of fathering that's guaranteed to discourage your children, to displease your Lord, but there's an alternative way of fathering that reflects the gospel, will encourage your children, remove obstacles from bringing them to Jesus, and that way of parenting, that way of fathering will please your Lord. Getting there may be slow and gradual, but it will be a change. As you embrace your role of servant leader, as you embrace the fact that Jesus Christ in his goodness and his sovereignty and his lordship is recreating you and therefore recreating your family life because of his new creation work. So fathers, what you need, mothers, what you need, those of us who are not fathers or mothers, what we need is to run to Jesus this morning. We need the gospel. The gospel that frees us from our past failures. The gospel that reminds us we've been adopted into a new family. A family whose father is love himself. And who proved it by sending his son Jesus in the flesh for us. And that Jesus is on his throne this morning.
And if you're in him, then you are with him in the heavenly places right now. Jesus is delighted to continue his new creation work in each one of us. So if you're part of his new creation work, Jesus intends to recreate your family life. Children are under authority, like Jesus and with Jesus, and are freed to embrace obedience. Fathers specifically are under authority, like Jesus and with Jesus, and are freed to exercise disciplined discipline. So may God give us grace to embrace this new creation work that Jesus is doing and that he intends to do until he returns. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would take these truths of the gospel, that you would plant them deep within us, that you would shape us and fashion us in the likeness of Jesus. We pray this in faith, that you who has called us to yourself, you also are faithful to perform it. Father, by your grace, would you meet the fathers in this room in the person of your spirit, in the gift of your son. Free them from feelings of inadequacy and failure and shame and guilt. Empower them. Equip them by your spirit to be fathers who do not exasperate their children, but who please you as they bring them to Jesus. And we pray this in your Son's name, our Savior Jesus. Amen.